treat yourself like someone you are responsible for helping. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast with me, your host, Austin Yoakum, and producer Marcus Sawson behind the scenes. This quote leads us to our guest today, Chris McCormick. Chris is Director of Strength and Conditioning of Olympic Sports at FAU. I heard him give a presentation on reflections and resources as a coach. It was a really awesome overview on how we train athletes, but more importantly, how we should train ourselves as coaches to live our lives. And it, it, was, it was an awesome conversation uh, that we drove into today about treating ourselves. And like the quote mentioned at the start, treat yourself like someone you're responsible for helping, but really diving into that and what that means and what we want out of life and how to accomplish that. And Chris does a really nice job of explaining that if you're not taking care of these other things in your life and you're only focused on your career, that a lot of times your career falls apart and your life kind of falls apart. And he really makes an emphasis on building the foundation of your life, building the foundation of who you are, applying that to your athletes. And at the end of the day, the career and the success will take care of itself. And it was a really awesome podcast that we talked very little about sets and reps and very much about life and how to live it. And I really got a lot out of this. So thank you guys for listening. All right. Well, coach, it's awesome to have you on a podcast today. I'm excited for you to be here. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Um, our, our conversation, you should have recorded our conversation before. That was the, the real stuff. Um, talking about the quarantine and, and return to, uh, I guess, normalcy and strength and conditioning. Yeah, that's been the, the kind of norm of the like 10 to 30 minute rabbit hole of what kind of schools are doing to get back into it. Like what coaches are doing and what the players are doing to kind of make this crazy time a little bit less crazy. Do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, uh, kind of how you got to the point you're at today, uh, some of the, the, the valleys that you had to go through to get there and why you're on the podcast today and kind of the level you're at now? Yeah. Um, so for the listeners, my name is Chris McCormick. I'm the Director of Strength and Conditioning for Olympic Sports at Florida Atlantic University. Um, we're in the south, south of Florida. Um, so it's uh, very beautiful here. Um, can't complain about that. But uh, I've been in strength and conditioning for almost 10 years. Uh, I have a non-traditional path. So there's some listeners on here that are maybe listening to something like this and aren't the normalcy of strength and conditioning. My, uh, my bachelor's and master's degree are actually focused in psychology. Um, so that's something that's really near and dear to my heart. But I think honestly, I wish there was more of a focus from the upbringing of what I've seen other coaches have. Um, is that psychological piece because it is a people profession. We talk about that all the time, but um, like I had to do interviews and different things with children up to all the way up to adults for some of my courses. And I think that has helped me tremendously just with my day to day and and just working with different levels of people. So I originally started out uh, coaching when I was in college as a student assistant for football at Indiana State University with the route of I want to be a teacher, maybe work in high school, maybe college. And then I, I decided that, you know what? I want to settle down, make a lot of money and do something like really, really cool with my life, which is the complete opposite of what I've done with coaching where I've moved so much. I went to grad school actually for neuropsychology. Um, I was working on my PhD and just felt led to go back into coaching after I got my master's degree. So in that realm, I jumped back into college football coaching and became an intern at Charleston Southern University down in Charleston, South Carolina. And that's where I met the strength coach that they just hired, Chad Scott. He is now at Coastal Carolina with their football team. And uh, we just lifted together. We hung out together. And I was an intern. I was unpaid. Um, and the more we hung out, the more I was like, you know, I think, I think strength and conditioning might be something that you want to look into. And, you know, I was into powerlifting. I was around it because of my experience at the college football level. I was like, you know, you know, I'll just help you out one day. And 
So we got to the summertime and uh, he didn't have any assistance. So it was like day one, Hey, you run this drill. We're going to go through this. And that day I was like, this is the reason why I'm here. Um, so it was a really cool experience for me because I'm making this leap of faith and, and leaving something that I thought was so stable in the profession I was going to go into and then going into coaching, um, kind of putting two to two together and being like, man, this is awesome. Like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So I went from being an intern at Charleston Southern for almost a year. And then I got a GA spot at University of West Alabama, which when I interviewed for it, I thought it was a GA spot. It was actually becoming the head strength coach. So I went from intern to being head strength coach around 22 or 23 years old. So I got thrown in the fire really quick. Um, and I'm very appreciative of that experience because I think it's helped me so much, even to the point I'm at now, um, of just how to handle the chaos that we see, especially if you have a lot of teams. I was there almost six months. It was a part-time position. And I got a call for an assistant job at Eastern Kentucky University, which is a FCS level, small mid-major school. Um, and I went there. I was there almost three years, trained men's basketball, assisted with football, and had several other teams. And then about 2015, uh, I was uh, looking for you know the next step and being like, where do I want to go with this? And I always had an aspiration of being a head football strength coach. And faith is very important to me. So uh, there was a job that opened up at Carter Webb University, which is a Christian school in uh, Bowling Springs, North Carolina. And I applied for the job, got the job, and had football and men's basketball there. I was there for almost two to three years. And then in 2018, I uh, ventured into the Olympic sports realm. So my current position, I do not train football. They have their own football staff, which do a great job. I'm over all the other teams here at FAU, uh, but I'm primarily with men's basketball, women's basketball, volleyball, and I also train swim and dive. So it's been a very unique journey. I've been in six states in almost seven to eight years. And I've been from multiple divisions all the way up to, I guess, the highest level of what you want to say. But I've also had a couple teams and I've also had 14 teams by myself. So when I talk to people, I can say, you know, I can, I can probably empathize with you a little bit because I've seen a lot of situations. Um, but I'm very grateful for those situations. I think they've helped me to become the coach that I am today. Um, and I, I don't get into positions where I'm unsure. It's like I've had to learn trial by fire. And I think it's, like I said, I think it's helped me to become the coach I am today. Yeah, I just finished up the book Range. And the whole premise of the book is about drawing upon other experiences and other things. Yeah. And that's usually how you become one of the better people in your field, uh, just because you're able to see it in a different way or you're able to... Yeah make different connections. So I'm interested in one, you, you had a ton of winding paths in your journey to where you're at today, but the, the actual, like the psychology part of your, where you started this, how, how have you been able to draw upon some of that into your coaching world? That's allowed you to differentiate yourself as a coach or just allow you to push forward as coach. Yeah. I think when you're in the psychological realm of like actual psychology and you're working with, with people that are at a deficit or you're working with parents, um, you're working with children, uh, communication is obviously very important. So I've had courses where it was like, we're going to teach you how to go down a rabbit hole of when you're answering questions or asking questions and you're trying to get certain feedback and how to direct and just posture of when you're sitting and talking to people. There's so many things that that's where I say, I wish a lot of coaches would hear that because there's a lot of things that even ring true from the neuropsychology level is all the training we talk about neurally and you go into RPR, you go into all these different things. Well, there's a lot of stuff that it comes from the neurology aspect directly. And that's actually practice with people that are at a deficit versus maybe the athletes we're working with the, the, the cream of the crop. So I think it's really interesting. Everything comes full circle seeing those things because I didn't think too much of it as a 
coach and being younger because there was a lot of other things. I was like, I maybe need to catch up on this stuff or I need to make myself more knowledgeable in certain areas, but also seeing that I have a strength. I need to use that more and maybe focus on that more. But again, now you're seeing the, the route that sports performance, strength and conditioning, whatever you want to call it, it's going. And psychology and the mind is this huge component, not only with your athletes, but also your relationship with coaches, administrators, and just how you're controlling the environment around you. How can you do that best? So I think that's where it's really benefited me because I didn't come up the natural exercise science route. So I don't have any preconceived notion of the exercise science realm where I'm very open to a lot of things. And you're seeing now in training also, there's a lot of crazy concepts coming out. And I think a lot of people that come through exercise science are, are taught by the book and then they get into the, the realm of application where I was more in the application realm. And then I started learning more things coming up, reading like Eastern Bloc texts and stuff like that. And then when I started seeing other people do things, I was like, why, do they, why are they doing that? But that might be more of a cultural thing for that team or it might be a more cultural thing for strength and conditioning. So I think that perspective has just kept my eyes open to a lot of different things. But I think it's also allowed me to be very open-minded with what I add and subtract from my programs, my relationships, all the above. Yeah. And I think the most powerful thing, like you mentioned there is it allows you to ask that question, like, why are they doing that? Or what, yeah. why is this working? Why doesn't that work rather than assuming something or assuming like I was taught this, that's the only way. And I think, and that's for sure. One of the things I struggled with coming through the exercise science pathway and knowing I wanted to be a strength coach, but like realizing, like, just like you said, trial by fire. Like when you look at some of the things that you learn in the book, you're like, well, that, like that doesn't actually make sense. And then I, like for me, me, myself, I had to break those molds to where you're able to come into this with open eyes. I think it's an awesome experience for you. Yeah, for sure. And then I want to, I want to talk about the, the, the kind of winding path with, with all the different jobs and the different moves. How have you like just personally kept, is it like you, you have an angle at the end that you're able to navigate through the, this winding path of moves and different stuff like that, different career changes, or is it like, how are you just able to stay on the path and know you're moving forward and knowing like not getting stuck in that chaos that you mentioned earlier? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I've talked to a lot of people about this and I don't, you know, I talked a little bit in the beginning of like, I wanted to be a, a football strength and conditioning coach. That's what I wanted to do because I was originally in football. So to say X amount of years before that, if you were to tell me I was in the Olympic side, I would have been like, no, nah, that probably wouldn't happen. Maybe basketball, maybe something of that nature. Um, but I think it's just through a lot of self-discovery through what you really want. Um, I try to talk to coaches about that a lot, my staff and others. And a lot of these quarantine conversations we've had, these COVID uh, conversations we had over Zoom with a lot of people, it's always come back to that. And I've talked about it a little bit in presentations and stuff like that. But you have to be true to what you really want. So I have found in navigating, I thought it was football. And then I realized me working and having to work with a lot of Olympic teams, I, I enjoyed it so much. And I think a lot of the training of me being open-minded, a lot of that works um, or is easier, easier to implement with the Olympic teams, maybe versus football when certain things culturally and stuff like that, you want to do certain things with the guys. So I think that's where having a vision, like I've never had, like I need to be at a power five school as this, as this, I had that aspiration of football. I got into it and I was like, you know what? I would like to explore being on the Olympic side if it was at a bigger school. Um, but I've never had that golden carrot, the mountaintop aspect because I initially never thought I was going to go into this. Like it, that's just the way I felt. Like I said, my faith is big 
for me. So my path is guided by that too. But I think it's as you gain more experience in the field, that's one thing I hope I can give coaches advice to is like, don't just assume because it's the next step that that's what you should be doing theoretically in strength and conditioning. Because there's a lot of people that say in my position, we were talking before about calls and things I've had to be on. Um, a lot of people don't want to deal with that stuff as a director. They just want to be a major sports specific strength coach at a big school. And they say they want to be a director, but they don't want to deal with all the administrative stuff. So I think that is a huge aspect too of you kind of got to lay out what you want. And then I think it's easier to make decisions as much as people talk about vision, mission, their values, their, their purpose or their why, like you have that. Well, you should kind of use that in your, your field also in the sense of what's going to be the next step. If something comes before you, are you going to go after it or not? And is it aligned with what you really want? But I think one of the issues I've seen with a lot of coaches, especially younger coaches is that they don't really know what they want. They just assume because everyone else wants it. And that's a scary thing because that's where you get a lot of coaches going to a new position and they're like, I absolutely hate this. Um, so I think that's helped me of just kind of laying all the facts out and just being like, all right, um, these are the values and these are the things I'm about. Is this place about that? And, and is it going to help me get to my goals and can I be successful? And I, I think when you do that, it may be something totally different than what you thought. And then you get there and you realize, wow, this actually makes me happy um, compared to what I thought because I've seen other people take a different path. Oh, that that's awesome. And that like, like I mentioned in the intro of this podcast, the, 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 the thing that when I was listening to you on that strength coach network lecture that, that got really got me intrigued was like living that high performance life and taking those steps to, like you said, get to act what you actually want, not what somebody else wants. And it, 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 it clicked with me and it was, it was powerful because you, you made the point of like, a step forward in the profession, like a step up the ladder, maybe it is to that director role, just because it's a step up the ladder doesn't mean it's a step up in your life or a step up in enjoyment or anything like that. It's just another step up in the ladder. And maybe it is for somebody else. But if you don't have that laid out for yourself, it's not going to work out in the long run. Yeah, for sure. And can you kind of break down that, that, that high performance life and kind of how you get to the point of where you're able to pursue what you really want, where you're able to know what you really want and then invest in it, invest in improving your life so you can improve others' lives. Yeah. I think that's the golden question. I wish I could answer that for you. Um, <laughs> Cause I think that's the ultimate question that even for younger coaches, if I were to tell you, I'm 31 years old, you know, and I could tell you all I want, you know, you need to worry about this. You need to focus on this. And many times you being a younger coach, you're going to, you know, 24, 25, you're like, the world's ahead of me. I'm going to do great things, whatever it is, whatever your goal is. But I think that's where you have to really not only analyze your profession, but you need to analyze everything else within your life. One of the biggest things, um, and it wasn't on the presentation on the, the strength coach network. I've kind of really focused on this break of talking about like my life plan. So really breaking down the components of my life and being like, okay, of the buckets, whatever, if I have attention, time and energy, where am I putting those things? but it's not as just simple as the professional and everything else. Cause I think that's what strength and conditioning is easily going to do is, you know, I'm so gung ho. I'm very passionate about this. I love this job. It's great to love your job, but is it taking over everything else where you're not taking care of everything else on the outside? Um, so like what I've tried to do over break is really break down those buckets and it was body, mind and spirit, which is me. Um, however you define spirit, how I define those things, but those are the three components of myself. And then there was uh, my marriage, my children, and then everything else. So socially, and that's kind of like 
we, so relationally, and then the other three are my career, financially, and then hobbies. And that's kind of what you become or be. So it's like a nice little acronym or a little phrase you can say. But those nine buckets, kind of going to the end in mind and being like, at the end, if that's the end of your life, at the end of five years, whatever it is, like, what do I want that to look like and sound like? Um, and you talk about high performance as well. High performance is sustainability. Like you can be really good for one or two years. And I'm sure Cam talked about that a little bit. And even uh, Eric Corum, it's like, you can be, you know, you can do these high performance things for one or two years, but can you do it long-term? Because strength and conditioning is a grind if you want to say, but you ask all the older coaches what they could, you know, go back and change. They probably change everything else outside of their career and say, I wish I would have done that better. Um, so I think that's an awareness piece. Do you have the awareness to know, where your blind spots are? Do you have people around you that can tell you your blind spots? Are you humble enough to hear those blind spots? And then that's where the evaluation starts. Just like we, re, you know, reverse or work backward from something to plan for it in strength and conditioning, you can do the same thing in your own life. And I think that's how you truly um, create a high performance lifestyle. Because, like for me, I don't have a lot of hobbies. My hobby is has been like training stuff and just learning and reading and things like that. And I've realized how much I don't have a hobby other than working out and things related to my job. And then even family wise, you're looking at your family and being like, okay, marriage wise, parent wise, if you're not even married or have any children, like what do you want that to look like in this field? If you're going to be a strength and conditioning coach and then body, mind and spirit, like where are you at with those certain things? Like the spirit side can be your identity or um, your relation to the group you're with. A lot of that stuff comes from Game Changers with, with Fergus Conley and things like that. But I think the first step to all of that, it's all fine and dandy, but do you have the awareness then to admit that you may have a problem or a deficit in one of those? And then that's where the starting point is. That's your limit. How can I improve that so I can sustain the maybe the most important thing in some people's life is strength and conditioning? Well, if you want to do it better, you need to do all these other things better. But the ironic thing is that we tell our athletes to do that, but coaches don't do that nine times out of 10. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that last point that you made is one of my favorite and the best is if you want to do like, if that's your actual goal, you can't just put all your eggs in that basket and expect like the rest of your life not to fall apart. And I think that's where, I mean, you see it in any profession, you see it in a lot, a ton in the business world where you have that burnout, high rate of burnout, a lot of athletes that are burning out with this stuff or just not making it. And their, their, their lives are crumbling and I talk a lot with the, the people that I work with, but building the foundation of the other parts of your life so you can reach the, the pinnacle of the part that you want to reach. Yeah. And the, 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 the quote that I loved, and you said that the fears and needs point to your limits. And I, I, I love that point of if, if you're fearing something or if you have that need for something, like that, that, that's probably something that you should probably not avoid. And that, that, that's something that I think a lot of people, and I, even in like in my own life, if you have something that I'm fearing or like needing, like it's going to be something I avoid, but you kind of flipped it on its head. It's like, that's something that you need to attack and dive into. Yeah. And I think that's a quote from Fergus Connolly. He told me that in the conversation we had, but yeah, I was, I was thinking about it the other day because that's essentially the mission statement of what I believe, if you would say my training principles or philosophy, or even our department is that you have strengths and you have limits. You can call them weaknesses, whatever it is, but it's like West side barbell for life. Like they attack weaknesses, they increase things. So the thing that they really want to increase will improve and there's support 
in it. But I think that's where, the, like I said, the awareness is so important because some people don't want to see that stuff. Some people, they just, they, they act like they don't see it or they truly don't see it because they don't have people around them or real with them. Be like, Hey, I think you really need to focus on this. Like, I think this is an issue that's going to hold you back. Like I can't tell you how many coaches I've talked to that are getting divorced. You know, that my, my wife is, uh, on a, uh, she has a coach's wives like podcast and a uh, Instagram and just DMS that she gets of just things that you're just like, what, like, how is this going on? How people are not seeing this, but then you don't even have the awareness to see the own things that you're doing in your life that are not supporting those goals that you have for your career. Um, because it's so, it's so easy to focus on those big rocks. Like everyone's going to tell you and you need to get this in a row and this in a row. But those other support based things, if you're not taking the time to understand what that truly is, and that ties into your wants also, it's going to come and bite you down the road. And it's probably going to bite you in the, the, the crucial time where something big is going to happen or a big opportunity. And then you're going to have to make a crucial decision between one or the other. And then it's too late. Um, and I think that's what we don't talk about coaching either is it's all fine and dandy, get the next job, get the next job, make more money, bigger title. Um, but there's a lot of questions people aren't asking either. And then we are unfortunately seeing in our field, a lot of bad things happening. Um, and that's why I like talking about it because it's like the awkward talks that, um, like if your parents never taught you how to balance your checkbook and like, you don't learn those things in high school. It's, it's funny because a lot of people don't learn these things in strength and conditioning and especially in our field where, um, we're different than sports coaches and we work, I think more than a lot of sports coaches compared to the recruiting realm where you just need to understand those things so you can have better success down the road. So then you can be more successful and actually be able to do things that you actually want once you figure those out. Yeah. And I'm, I'm interested in you personally, your path to developing this, this thought process and awareness in your own life to where like, I, I would say I'm very much like that where I'm striving for like that next thing. And I think, like you said, like many coaches are out there like striving for that next thing. It's a, it's the next big goal, stuff like that. Where in your life, was it a big wake up call? Was it something that you're like, all right, like I need to take a step back and look at this and, and map it out and make sure I'm, I'm on the right path and not getting caught up in that tide. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if it was a defining moment. I think my wife probably has a lot of influence because she's a very outspoken person, which I'm very grateful for. Um, I, I tell her all the time, I think she could probably be a really good coach because she tells it how it is. But I think there's so many things that you easily say that you want. So when I talk about this, it's like, what do you want in life? What do you want in the next job? What do you want with your family? Like if you're brand new into the field and you're going to envision 10 years down the road, what do you want? A lot of people say, I want to be married. I want to have kids. It's like, well, you probably aren't going to work at maybe a big time school because of the time commitment. Like what's that balance going to be with your children? Those kind of questions, a lot of people don't really um, ask, but I think it's been different for me because I've never had that aspiration of like, I want to do this and it'll be at all costs. I'm going to do this. A lot of our moves obviously have been because of our, our, uh, my profession, my wife stays home with our children. Um, so there's been more of a, a guidance in that process of I've led to us moving to go to different places and I've been to a lot of places, but it's never been to get to the next mountaintop in, in my mind. But I think it's just been a culmination over the past several years where it's like, I say I want these things. I'm about these certain things. People can say or talk about me or mention my name to somebody else and say, Chris is X, Y, and Z. This is what he's about. But I think for me, the biggest thing is like, I really want to be about that. I don't want everyone else on Twitter land and Instagram thinking in one way and my own family think I'm another way. It's very easy to project yourself, I think, in this realm of social media of 
how you want to look. Um, but I think I've just really sat in and discovered how important certain things are to me. And then you got to make the decision that if you're going to sacrifice for one of those really big things, there's a lot of other things you're going to have to sacrifice. Um, but you've got to lay those things on the table and figure out, okay, then what do I need to pull and push and prod to get as much as I want and not just go all in on one thing, which most likely is your career. And then everything else is thrown at the wayside. So I think it's been in a, it's been a process for me, but it's been a lot of people just in my ability to finally see the light and become more humble when it's very easy to say that you're a very humble person and then people tell you stuff and you take it as no, they're not right. And then it comes to a point finally that you acknowledge that and you go, wow, like I've been missing the mark on some of these things. Um, that's why I like talking about because I hope then other people hear this and they go, you know, I don't want to be up to the point like he was. I want to be him just being able to see the awareness he has so I can, do the things and be successful the way I want to be. Yeah. And I think you, you hit it on the head with the ego too, of like when you map these things out, like it's, it's really easy for yourself to lie to yourself when you map it out, like, Oh yeah, this is all fine. But yeah. if you're able to shut off that ego or just allow yourself to take the ego and be like, Oh crap. Like I am leaving all these parts of my life, not touched and not tapped. It's like, then, then you can actually attack it rather than lie to yourself about it. For sure. For sure. And then the, uh, the, one of the, one of the points I want to talk about, you mentioned yourself, like that you realized that the hobby part, the hobby bucket wasn't being filled for yourself. And that was something that you need to attack just so the listeners get a little bit of a, like, like what did you do to attack that piece? Once you realized that was a missing piece, like, are you still in the process of that? But like, what, yeah, what's kind of your journey there? Yeah. I mean, I'm still in a, a major process of that. I mean, I think it's even just looking into a lot of things I do like reading. Um, you know, it's so easy to pick up the next strength and conditioning book or some leadership book that is going to be the book that everyone else reads. But there are so many nuances that, you know, figuring out what I, I like to do. I love reading. I love gaining wisdom and learning things and, and actually applying those things. You know, like sport is one of those things of like, I used to be this avid fan. I'm not as an avid fan now because I think it's more of my job, but trying to get more ingrained in watching other sports and things that I don't personally train. I don't have an investment in to become a fan again. But I think the time consuming nature of your job, when you enjoy that, then people will say, well, it's my profession and it's my hobby. But I think a true hobby has to be release also. So you can work out and you can lift and you can do all that stuff. But that's still one of those things that's connected to your job, especially for us. It's still an ongoing process for me where I think when I say hobby, it's can I have a disconnect because I have a hard time turning my brain off because it's always running. It's always the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. How can I prepare for this? Um, and I have trouble where that's something I've noticed in my own life where like my wife would just be like, you're not even here sometimes. Like you can just see it in my eyes. And I've seen videos of it where I'm like, that's true. Like I, I've seen that and that's terrible to hear. Um, but it's good to hear because then you can make a change. So I think that's where the hobbies for me, especially as my kids get older and things like that, I want those releases. So then I can do better work when I come back to my job. And that's what I've discovered. The less I do certain things, the more I come back and refresh and my ideas roll and things work really well. And then you, you look back and you're like, now it's straining on certain things and I was wasting my time. Um, but that's, you know, that's more of the productivity organization type of idea. I love that point because I've been talking to a lot of other coaches and even athletes that about how this quarantine, like this quarantine, the workouts I've had during quarantine have been the first time I felt that like that, that high school workout, like drive to do it again, just because I like, I have that disconnection. I'm not in the weight room anymore. Like I'm able to, like you said, get that release from this workout because it's not connected to my job. It's not in the same room that I just 
have been working in forever, you yes. know, like, and that's, that's something that is like, once you start to feel that again, and I, for me, it was a wake up call. I was like, holy crap. Like this, I, I was getting burnt. Like I was so far just spending so much time in one room doing one thing over and over again, that there was never any disconnect or release. For sure. No. And that, I think like I have a, a weight rack in my house, which is the first time I've ever had in our garage. Um, and I haven't had a lot of time because of our schedule. Also, um, if it would be early, early mornings, depending upon our situation with scheduling and stuff like that, I wasn't really able to work out at work. Um, so I know a lot of people that will go to a gym or something just a different environment, but being at my, at my house and just being disconnected from that, even if I come home and, and go work out at night, um, it's just, there's a lot of things when you are disconnected, you don't realize how much you get in the, the hamster wheel. And then you go, okay, why am I doing these things? Well, maybe I don't know why I'm doing these things. And then you get out of it and then you start exploring other things. And, and I think there's just been a lot of clarity for me. And that's been part of the life stuff I talked about. Um, but you just kind of step back and you get a better perspective. And I think that's been the best blessing for me in this whole time is that been able to step back and evaluate a lot of things and get rid of a lot of things and, and add maybe some stuff. Um, but we don't ever have that time, especially in strength and conditioning. And I think that's where it's hard because if you don't ever have that time, especially if you're younger coaches now, they need to take advantage of this because you're never probably going to get this again. So you need to come back better, but you need to come back refreshed. Like make sure you're ready to go. Um, which I don't think is going to be a problem for, for most people. Yeah. And make sure when, when we're coming back and uh, we don't just run ourselves back into that hamster wheel. I think that's something that I've wrote about a lot and just like making sure to continue to reiterate to myself is like, once this all starts back up again, like don't just jump right back into what you were doing, you know, like you, you, now yeah. you had that disconnect. Now you had that release, like now let's attack it in a different angle or a better way. So again, you have that longevity and you have a way that you're going to continue to grow and not get burnt out from all this. Yeah, for sure. And I, I'm interested in how we apply this now to, to your athletes. So that this high performance life approach and I talk and many coaches talk about it all the time, but like how we want to build the human first and building a good human is going to allow you to create a good athlete, but how you're applying this, this high performance life and really getting people to understand what they want in life and why they want it to your athletes and the sports performance model. Cause your job at the end of the day is to get results and to get them on the field to play well. But a lot of times I think that can get like too focused on and you're, you're missing the, the, the human in front of you and building their life and making sure the next 40 years of their life are impacted by the yeah. four years that you have them for. Yeah. I, and I think it, you know, that'd be one of the things of what I've realized and I needed to improve on probably midway through my career is people over programs. <laughs> I mean, you can have the greatest exercise selection, the new fad, whatever it is, you can explain it. Um, you can even give it to the athlete. But I think the central focus on people is obviously what we're all going to say, but how you're actually going about it. Um, we use a very similar coactive model that Cam uh, talks about, obviously, in the process. And I think it's a great way of separating things. And especially the focus for us would be the psychological side, the physical side. And then what we would call it the personal side or it's the health. So your lifestyle, recovery, sleep. And that goes into your education. That's knowing a lot of different things. Like we, we have different forms we give the athletes. It's like, tell me your hobbies. Tell me about your family. Tell me about the best coach you've ever had. How did they coach you? Your needs, your fears, your wants. Like these deep questions. Um, it's a lot of questions that maybe ask right off the bat. So I wouldn't recommend doing it all at once. But, you know, getting to know them in some shape or form. I think the best coaches nonchalantly get that information 
but I, I also, for me personally, you know, I demand a lot of my athletes, but I want my athletes to see me as a human being also. I think it's so easy to be like, we want to treat you as a human being, but do they ever see your vulnerabilities? You know, I, I, topics that come to mind for me is like, you know, you have athletes come and reach back out to you down the road and things like that. But even here, like um, I train volleyball and like we've had several volleyball players over to our house babysitting our kids. Like they see another side of me, not just coach Chris in the weight room with my FAU stuff on, they see my home, like they're in my house eating my food. So there's a whole nother element to that, but also seeing my children, my family, um, seeing me outside of there. I think a lot of people, yes, we want to draw that line as a coach, but they also, they need to see the, the other sides of you. And that's one thing I've really tried to emphasize here. Um, I think even more importantly, cause I've had more female teams and I've had male teams than ever. Um, so for me, I've always had male teams and I've trained certain teams here and there, but I think it's a little bit different training males versus females. And, um, I think that is a huge thing is that vulnerability and that, that wall dropping because we are the one place, maybe even compared to athletic training where there's going to be a lot of things said, are you picking up on it? And are you there to give advice, what support, whatever it is. So you can get indirectly more buy-in for what you're trying to do. So that relational type aspect of coaching, I think is so huge, but obviously it's a delicate balance between being that coach and then, and just being a, a Joe Schmo, um, when you're working with them. But I think implementing it to them is the key. I think, especially now with the athletes, and this is the one thing, another thing I've tried to do over this break has been, you know, what is my assessment? How am I going to train it? And this is hopefully the result I get. Now we can't directly do that with every single thing, but going back through a lot of things and being like, okay, if this athlete has this problem or we're talking about this, say they have a physical issue, they have a mental issue on the field and they're like, Hey, this coach is saying that they're not tough enough, whatever cliche word we want to say, we need to figure out a way of if it's assessing, tracking it, and then giving them the tools to actually improve indirectly, whatever that is that the sports coach is calling that. And that's a language thing too. Um, but, but also like if we're asking an athlete to do something for us, then we better have a way of getting them better at it. And I think sometimes we just leave a lot of things to chance. And we're like, Oh, you just do this and this and it's going to get better. And, and it doesn't. Um, so I think that's where the holistic nature of, of training comes in but that's where you're teaching these skills that are going to transfer to everything else. But it's also, how are you doing that? I think a lot of coaches say they're doing this stuff and it's hard, but how are you actually doing it? And is there actual result like you're talking about? Those are the hard things other than just writing sets and reps for strength and conditioning and, and physically doing stuff. Yeah. And I think this relates again to the, the, the fact that, at the end of the day, you'll, you'll like every coach wants their athlete to be better in the field. And they talk about that constantly. But again, if we're avoiding the other three spots of the field, or you're avoiding the the relationship that you have with your athlete, like, again, it's going to come back to that point where you mentioned where there, that where's the, that intersection with that athlete. And that that's where that moment it's going to fall apart. Like that foundation, like, sure, they're really, really good at their sport, but they have none of that other part built up. And you've never spent time as a coach to help build that up for them. And then when it really matters, it maybe really matters for your team, maybe it really matters just for a spot in their life that that seems to come to a head and it falls apart. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, it's especially now in a situation like this where people are disconnected. I mean, we're connected more than ever, but people are physically disconnected from each other. And just, it, it's just having to wear, like I said, I think the best coaches do this really, really well. And I don't think I'm anywhere close to where I should be at it. I think it's, it's that intuition of, you indirectly want to get to get somebody to do something that they may or may not want to do. 
But what are the supporting factors that are going to lead into that one major goal that they want? And they may not even have the awareness of all these other things. So that's where you've got to fill the void and be like, this is what you want. This is where you're at. This is the gap. But we can't just fill it in one way. If there's so many other things that are going to help fill and support it. So it gives you the path to get there the quickest. And that's what we want for you. But people... I mean, it's a people profession, like I said. So you have to show that you care for people. And that might be tough love. That might be different for somebody else. That's why I like asking the question about coaching is what's the best coach you ever had? And they will tell me exactly how they want to be coached because they'll tell me exactly how that coach coached them. So I think when you hear that, then you might be able to tap better into what they want, what their need is. Why are they motivated to do their sport? And then you start digging deeper and deeper then you start getting the answers you need and then you might have better questions and then ultimately better answers for the athlete. I, I love the point. And I, I think you did mention this in the, in the lecture, but I love that point of like finding out how like a player likes to be coached. Because one thing I think you, you hear a lot is like, Oh, that coach is a hard ass. That coach is that. And I think like as a coach, you should be able to, you need to be able to blend between the both of them because you have athletes that, and I, I just personally, for sure. Like I have an athlete that if I yell at him, I will lose that kid for two weeks. Like it, yep. he's just going to go into a shell and we're never going to get anything out of him. And it, I have other athletes that if, if I don't yell at them, like they need that somebody to yell at them. Like they need that thought process and they need that motivation. And I think as a coach, like you, you need to be able to blend between both of those realms. And again, doing it at the right time and knowing what your athletes need and figuring that out. So you're not just the hard ass coach with a kid that like it's his first time in his life being yelled at and then he crumples and you get nothing for him for a week. Yeah, for sure. And I think, and that's identity piece too. How many coaches are like their mentors because that's the way they think it should be done or how they are really. Cause it, you talk about burnout. If you're not acting the way that you really are and obviously different settings and things like that, you're going to get burnout pretty quick because you're going to expend so much energy being something you're not. And I, I've seen a lot of coaches do it too. It's like, I, I hire coaches because I hired them because of who they are. Like, I'm not trying, I'm going to help you get better, but I want you to be a better version of you. Not, I don't want you to be a mini me. We might believe the same things, but that's where even in hiring for me, I've tried to pride myself. I've only hired one person to a full-time position as a director that I actually knew prior. So like, I'm going to hire for the best person for the best position, but I want that fit with the team, with the type of athlete they have, the culture. Like I want that to match up too, because then whatever you do, strength and conditioning wise, if you want to have whatever argument you want, it's probably going to go a little bit better from the, uh, um, the administrative side, because now it's like, all right, I know this is going to work out well relationally. Now when we do the stuff that they maybe not want to do, like say these Olympic teams that don't like lifting, it's going to probably go a little bit better because we have those other foundational things in place. And I know what kind of person they are. Um, and I think that's huge um, in any realm, but I think especially in strength and conditioning where honestly you're making a lot of people do some stuff that they don't want to do or they don't enjoy doing it. It's like, so how do we get there? Um, Cause they love their sport. They may not love squatting and lifting weights. So yeah. And one of the, one of the pieces that I think we've mentioned a couple of times is, is finding the ways to relate and finding what our athletes want, what our athletes need. And you, you mentioned the, the, the questionnaires and surveys, but I, I'm interested in if there's um what kind of your process of doing that with your athletes and learning what it is, is it just small talk throughout the list and how it is, especially with the, the female athletes where you probably don't have as much to relate to them as you would. Like I, I would with like my football team where it's easy. Like we, we have a lot of things in common and how you're trying to, yeah trying to find those ways to relate throughout the day. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's multifaceted. I think I've went towards more Google forms just because of our, our situation right now, but it gives me time to ask a lot of the questions 
Um, this is a history thing. I mean, there's so many things that you can easily forget that if you remember about an athlete, that it's going to lead to more buy-in. I mean, there's just so many things that they may tell you that they don't think you're listening. And then you're like, Hey, well, I heard that you were talking about this two weeks ago. How's everything going? Maybe with a family member or something like that. Those really relate to more of that, that people over position or people over player um, that we all talk about as coaches and what we want. Um, but I think it is a small talk thing. I and mean, again, I think that's where the, just the feel of some coaches, you watch some coaches and they may not X and O wise have the most knowledgeable, best scientific program you want to say, but they have essentially, they have a swagger about themselves of getting what they need in a situation and capitalizing on that and optimizing that. And I think that's where, you know, male versus female too. It's, it's easier for me with males and even basketball. Like I've been around basketball a long time just to have certain conversations and, and things like that. But the female teams, it's a little, it's a little bit different. So like I have children, so my male athletes are going to be as probably asking about my kids versus my female athletes where they see my children or a picture of them on the desk or they see them come in the weight room. Those things of, Oh yeah, I have a little brother. Like those conversations change really quick. So I think it's also the tone. And and again, it goes into so much of just the environment. I mean, football is completely different than say women's tennis or women's got like, you just have these different things and how can I shape myself to get the same result? I'm, you know, working with two different teams. I still want the same result performance wise. It's how do I get there the best and what do I have to alter and change? I think the more you ask the athlete about things, doesn't mean you have to use it, but the more questions you can ask, the better return you're going to get. Because then you might ask something you're like, wow, I didn't even ever think about asking this. And they gave me this answer. This makes sense why they don't like doing this. This makes sense why they're backlashing against something. So I think that's a a double-edged sword for, I think, a lot of young coaches because like at first you come in, you know what's best and they don't ask any questions. And then you start going farther in and then you start giving everybody options and, oh, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And then the athlete, you know, I've had plenty of athletes where I ask them, you have these four options, you can do this, this, and this. And they'll literally tell me, like seniors being like, don't give me an option, just tell me what to do. And they're gung-ho, that's what they want to do. So I think that's that feel aspect behind it too, is you just, you got to, you got to have the experience. You got to be in the trench of understanding people. And I think you're going to get the answers you want, but are you actually listening? And that's an awareness piece and that's an experience piece. And it, it all ties in together. Yeah. And the biggest, uh, you, you talked about giving your athletes choices and just asking them questions about your own program. Cause I think it is an ego thing of like, you write this thing on a piece of paper and you're yeah. like, yeah, this is it. Like right here, this program that's going to make the moneymaker. And yeah like you said, if an athlete doesn't believe in it or if there's something that could be better. And one of the biggest eye openers was uh, we were doing some small side of game with an offense and defense alignment with our football team. And one of the guys, I, can't, I don't even remember what the switch was, but it was literally like putting a pin from one spot to the next spot. Cause he's like, that's more realistic in a game. And we did it. And as soon as we did it, like the energy levels went up, they were so happy that we had switched. Like we just like, they, they had some autonomy in switching and it all literally, it was changing a, uh, a pin from one angle to the next angle. But I was like, like, why don't we, we could do this with almost all of our programs. Like as long as we're, yes. we're keeping the goal, the goal, like give them some options with this, you're going to get way more buy-in. You're going to like just a feeling they have of that. Like, Oh, this is my program. I have some say in this. And at the end of the day, they're the athletes. Like this is their four years of where they're the guide them on the path, but we're not there to like walk the path with them. Like all, all of us coaches have already walked our athletic path. Like this is their four years. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think it, it just, again, it's context dependent. I mean, the school I'm at now, 
I have a lot of athletes that will train their tail off that they just want me to tell them what to do. And, and I've been the coach of like, you're one, you have no say you're two. You have a little bit of say you're three. I'm going to give you more say you're four. You understand the program. You need to choose what you need to do. But those models sound great until you go into a situation and then you just have a totally different group of athletes where my previous schools, I would need to do that with some athletes because they were so gung ho of they want to make, they want to be in control. So it's just really interesting because then you just go to a whole nother school. And I've met a lot of coaches that haven't been to a lot of schools. So they have this thought process of like, you know, I do this, this, and this, and it might've matched up with their personality and the athletes might've just been the right fit for them. And they go somewhere else and they're like, man, like it's not the same. And it's like, well, are you looking outside of what you want to do? And are you actually critiquing the environment? That might be training. That might be exercise selection. That might be how you're going to do things. Like there's so many ways that, you know, culturally you need to look at a situation because it's going to be different everywhere. But I think sometimes coaches don't look at, and then they just try to implement the same thing they did at the last school. And they realize this is, this is not going to work. And this is might be why the athlete doesn't like my training because they're just not bought into this. What can I tweak to get more of that response? Cause ultimately that's what we want to do. Yeah. And like, I think it all comes back to the, the people of the program. And it, like, if you, if you want your program to work, you have to have the people work on the program. It doesn't matter what you write on the sheet of paper, if people don't believe in it and they're not going to do it. And then this is, um, this is the kind of last question of the, what of the sports performance, but it's, it's one of my favorites because it kind of opens my eyes to what the coach is diving into, but what has kind of been your, your biggest eye opener in training in maybe it's just life in sports performance, but in the last year or five years, maybe it's the week, maybe it's the last month, but what's been kind of your biggest eye opener recently in all this? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I would probably say it's probably been found through a lot of my conversations I've had over this, over this break. I've been trying to be really, uh, really intentional of talking and, and seeking out certain information where I'm not just like accumulating gobs and gobs and gobs of stuff and then not knowing what to do with it is. I think the point of that, I, I think, and I love to complexify things for the sake of complexifying things and going back to a lot of the things I used to do. Just, I mean, looking back how many ever years and a lot of people are like, I hope my programs look better X, Y, Z down the road. Um, but realizing that the more I make complexity in something, sometimes the more I may lose the consumer that I have. And I've had a couple of people just point blank humility wise telling me like, I think sometimes you maybe chase down some rabbit holes too much, or they have told me in the past, like, I don't think this works. And I've, I've done the X, Y, and Z and, um, me not listening. Cause I'm like, no, it's going to work for me. And then it doesn't, it doesn't work for me. And it might not even be a actual physical result, but mentally it may not be the best thing or culture might be the best thing. So I think simplifying has been the biggest eye opener for me because I do a lot of things. I do a lot of things that connect to a lot of things, but again, it doesn't matter how much, you know, like you said, the people over programs think it's like, it doesn't matter how much, you know, if the person that's supposed to be doing it for their own good, doesn't do it very well, or they don't understand it, or they don't like doing it, or you're not able to make them in the point of being successful in it. Um, so I think that's been huge for me is just being able to take a step back and being like, what fat can I cut from this? And I think simplifying has been now, there's only so much simplicity you can have to a complex idea or model or whatever. But again, there's a lot of ways to skin a cat. And I think I've just been able to really take that perspective and be like, man, like I need to stop doing all this stuff and maybe just boil it down to maybe one or two things. Yeah. I think that was one of my favorite takeaways from anti-fragile was talking about how one of the 
easiest and best ways to move forward in life is simplification and cutting out the fat. Yeah. Like you said, like a lot of people are always looking to add on or looking to add that next knowledge piece. And he's like, the, it, it's so much easier and so much better usually to actually cut off. And it, it's very hard for us. So like you said, like we want to dive down rabbit holes and we want to find the next thing. And that's just something like I know myself, like I have to continue to reiterate to myself is, yeah. is, is it the next rabbit hole or is it filling in the last rabbit hole that you spent so much time digging into and like, it didn't matter and stop trying to yeah. apply those complex things to this situation. Yeah. I heard a quote a while back. It says change brings energy and I love change. Like I, I thrive in chaos. Um, I think it's probably because of partly because of my profession, I'm just moving around so much and just like feeling like I can handle a lot of stuff, um, at one time, but the ability of me doing it really, really well, or that multitasking aspect, I think I do better than I really do. Um, so I think that change, it's like, I thrive on that. It's like, I like new things. I like, like I just, and it's not, necessarily based off of say principle and just kind of just do the random next big thing. It's the interconnectedness of things and being like, wow, this, this applies to what I already do. Let me see if I can add it in. But I personally like that where there's a lot of people I met that don't like any change. They just want the same old, same old all the time. It has to be a certain way, but that's also projecting on other people and being like, well, you know, this is the way I believe things. So you should believe the same thing. And then you realize that it doesn't work out because you're not listening. Um, so I think that's been, that's been huge. Yeah. And, uh, one of the biggest things that have, has kind of shown me that in, in people, because I'm very much the same way. I, li- I like change. I like doing it. And even just on the most simplistic level, like with exercise, like I like variation in the exercise. I like doing that. And one of the things I implemented this past off season with the football guys is, um, something like a, I'll add choice in front of the exercise. So let's say it's a, like a choice jump. Um, so trying to jump a different way or land a different way each time. And the athletes that like being told what to do and like the same thing and set and work up towards something, you'll watch them do this choice and you just sit back and watch them do the same thing for all 15 jumps. And then there's the athlete that is like me or like you that loves the variation. And for every like the five sets of three, every single jump is different. It was just very interesting to be like, wow, there are, there's two very different types of people and you just need to find a way to mold your program to both of them. Yeah. And I think, and I like Westside barbell and, and all these different things, constraints led approach. Like you go all these different routes where, you know, variability and things like, I love that. Cause I don't like doing the same thing all the time. I like change. So seeing another out. And I, I think a lot of times I've seen it as not being compliant. So if I see an athlete doing that, I'm like, why aren't they, this is like the best thing we can do. Like I understand what, why they are not, or maybe the one that just keeps doing the same variation every single time. And it's realizing it's a personality type. And one of the biggest things this is kind of an offshoot, but like the Enneagram test, I mean, it's essentially a personality test and inventory. It's opened my eyes to a lot of things. There's nine types on this scale. Um, and my type compared to somebody else's type, it makes sense why, if I do certain things or act a certain way to me, it's been like, Holy cow. Like I'm just not either listening. I'm taking offense to it. So those, there's so many other avenues, but, um, that kind of goes back into the thing of, you know, there's a lot of ideals people talk about in strength and conditioning and then coaching and like level systems. And this is how it should be. And you should always give choice. Like people talk about this stuff as absolutes. They're not absolutes. Um, but it's so easy to think that because it's worked for you, but it doesn't mean that it's going to work for me. And I think if you have the the awareness, then you're able to kind of weed through some of that stuff. But I'm seeing it more and more of articles and things people are talking about. It's like, if I were to do that in my situation, I know my athletes wouldn't be because they're some of them like they don't either want to do it or they're not going to understand it. So then it's like, okay, this is way too much. We need to regress. But if they psychologically take that regression and it gives them confidence, is that going to transfer more to the field? 
And I think sometimes people don't ask that. They just ask, well, this is the next level 15 progression of this drill because um, it's more sport-like. And it's like, well, if they don't do it right, it's not going to transfer. So where are we going with this conversation? Yeah. And one of my, and this is one of my favorite quotes that I read the other day. It was, it was a stoic quote about it's much easier to shape how you process the world than how the world processes you. And yes. I think it, it applies to this situation of stop trying to force everything that we like and we do. And it's really hard because it, it, you enjoy it and you like it and you've seen it work. You're like, oh, this has to work for everybody. But, and, and I, I say this in a way of like, as a coach, like I'm working on this process every day. It's not, and I, I'm assuming you are as well. It's not like everything, like I just have this perfect mindset, but it's like something I continue to have to reiterate to myself of just because this works for me, it does not mean it's going to work for the world. Yeah, no, it's, I, it's an ever, ever working process. And I think I've discovered that more in my past couple of years as a coach, which I wish I would have heard, listened, someone told me, when I first started, because I think it would have changed a lot of perspective that I have of you thinking you have the latest and greatest thing and it's never going to get through because of that mindset. Yeah. All right. Let's transition to the rapid fire round. And the, the first, the first question is what kind of your, your favorite books that you've read to kind of get you to the thought process you're at today? Yeah. Uh, I'll give you three. Um, personally, uh, book everybody always by Bob Goff. He is a former lawyer that now builds schools in Uganda and is a, I mean, does all kinds of stuff all over the world. Tremendous, tremendous book just about caring for other people. Um, and you know, just, I want to say living a good life, but I mean, living a life of helping others and putting others above yourself. Awesome book. Someone's just looking for a, a, a quick read. Uh, I would recommend that book. Uh, I think from the professional side, uh, I read a book probably six months ago called Captivate by Vanessa Van Edwards. And uh, I think she worked in the FBI, but it's all about body language. It is the one of the most practical books I've read on like actually implementing something, but it just talks about your tone, like the first five seconds meeting somebody, the first five minutes, the first like week, it kind of builds up in that way of just having, having and creating moments with people where you get more out of other people. And that's essentially what coaching is. So it's like aha moments. Like you see some, something like in your background and you go, Oh, by the way, I'm this fan of this sports team. And they say, have a Yankees thing in the background that sparks a conversation where at first it might be awkward. So there's a lot of those charisma things almost that uh, she talks about in the book where to position yourself at a party, like to talk to more people. It's just like crazy stuff of um, just picking up on certain things socially to have more success in what you're trying to do. So I would definitely recommend that for all coaches, but especially younger coaches. Yeah, I'm um, reading, I, uh, before you go on to the third, I'm reading uh, How to Influence Friends or How to Win Friends and Influence People. Uh, I have it right here, but um, very, very similar. It's just some of the, yeah. you read some of this stuff, you're like, holy, like there's, it's so, and this I feel like is probably even a simpler dive than the book that you mentioned, but it's, it's very interesting. Like how small things, like you mentioned, like noticing that Yankee thing in the background and just yep. noticing small things that allow you to relate to things can lead to yep. huge dividends down the road. For sure. And I think I would honestly say that the captivate book is probably a more applicable version of the book that you're reading. Um, Cause I've talked to a couple people and they're like, yeah, I'm reading that book. And it's like, well, this, ha I mean, this has very practical things. And that's why I love it is because like you actually can go implement it and, and try it with people. I think just from the technical side, strength and conditioning wise, anything from ultimate athlete concepts. I know you've had cam on, I know, uh, I mean, anything that they pump out to be forewarned though, some of their books, I think are great reads, but they're not applicable to your situation. So there's a lot of things that people are doing that I necessarily don't agree with. And Joseph Johnson, the publisher for all the books, 
he'll be the first one to tell you is like, this book will be really good for you in your situation. This book is for advanced athletes. Like you can read it, but it's not, you don't, your athletes don't need this. So anything from ultimate athlete concepts, um, all the Eastern block scientists and that rabbit hole in itself, uh, I think are the best resources and strength and conditioning hands down. Boom. Next question. And this is one that's kind of grown the podcast to the point it is, and has allowed me to meet people like you and other people that are kind of in our similar rabbit holes, but who's the next guest that you think we should have on that kind of has similar mindsets and values? I was going to say Eric. And then I saw that he was, he was on the podcast. I would say he is the director of Olympic sports at Liberty university, Henry, Ber- Henry Barrera. Um, he works in men's basketball there and a couple other sports. You've probably seen him on social media for his amazing notes. He takes on his iPad of just colors and drawings and stuff. He is probably one of the most creative, um, just insightful coaches I've ever met. He's worked at Nike. He's worked at some very basketball specific things, but the way he gets things across to his athletes through videos, like he has a green screen in his basement. He records these videos and mashes it up with like Kevin Durant and sends it to his guys. It's tremendous. Like the stuff he sent, I'm like, I wish I was one tenth of that creative of how he does things. But that investment, we talk about people and the athlete. I think he'd be a, a tremendous guest. You, you will get some, he will bring something to the table and give you like 10 things you need to read because that's how he is with me. He's one of those people that gives life and energy when you talk to him. Um, so I think he would be uh, a tremendous person to connect with. Oh, heck yes. I, I, I haven't heard of him before, but that sounds like the, the creative side that I need to tap into. If, if he listens to this, I'm giving him a shout out right now. Cause he, I mean, he, he's the man, he's the man. And I, I wish I would have connected earlier with him in my career. Um, but we've connected through, um, Fergus Connolly. Um, so he's one of those people that we just, we, and we actually coached against each other. We were in the same conference and we never really connected. And I, I came here and then we started talking more and had a lot of similar ideas and stuff. He's, he's an awesome person. Heck yes. Yeah, so we'll have to get him on next, next, next question. Uh, what's, what's kind of next for you? Maybe, maybe it's within the next year, maybe it's next five years, but what's kind of that next goal? What's like, Maybe the answer is what you really want, but what's kind of next for you? Um, I'm, I think obviously getting back whenever that, <laughs> that is, I think just doing better at, at everything in my life is what I, I want. Um, you know, a lot of us say we're not going to retire strength and conditioning coaches. I know I'm not going to, but it's kind of like that cliche thing of what do you want to be in five years and is be happy. Um, I think that's what I want. I've been a lot of places. I've done a lot of different things. I've been in some different careers and I've enjoyed every step, but I think just truly having those other buckets filled the right way, most importantly for my family, but just maybe to be an example to help others. Uh, That's what I hope to do because that is one burden I do have for people that I see in this profession is a lot of people are struggling. And I think having manageable or, or, or tools or resources to actually do better, um, no, I think that's one thing I hope to, to maybe help others do better, but more importantly, myself. And the, the next question kind of ties into your answer then, but uh, when, when all this coaching is over, what do you kind of want your legacy to be? Yeah, I think overall my legacy um, is to love God and love others. I mean, that's what I'm personally called to do with my faith. Um, that's what I, I hope to be known as. And I hope kind of in not the similar realm, but very similar is that my words match my actions. You know, a lot of people say your actions speak louder than words. I hope when people talk about me that I actually do the things I say and I believe um, and that, you know, people have bad, good and different, whatever that if even my name comes up and someone <laughs> trashes me, it's like, no, I know him in this certain way. Cause I think that's very easy in our field too of coaching is you, somebody knows somebody a certain way. And then you hear about him and you're like, oh, I know that person. And 
they're not that way to me at all. So I think the genuine nature of it, that's, that's what I want to be known as. Heck yes. And then the last question of the podcast is somebody, somebody's in that Valley. They're, they're in a tough spot in their life. Maybe it's that career path. Maybe it's that crossroad in life, but what's kind of your billboard message to keep that person going to make sure they, they reach the next step. I mean, honestly, it'd be call me. I'll put my phone number up there. If you need somebody to talk to, I think, I think a lot of people in this disconnection now, which is very evident. Like I said, people are so connected now, but they are disconnected and you're seeing it in our world. You're seeing it in our field. I've had athletes um, just communicating to them and, and just seeing what they're really struggling with, especially now is um, there's people around that want to help you. And it's sometimes they have to reach out to someone like myself or you or whoever, but we need to be more willing to reach out to people when we see that something's up. So I think it's just, I want to be available and I hope others are available. Um, that kind of ties into hopefully what's next for me too, is like, I do a bad job of reconnecting with people sometimes. So I want to be available for other people if they need me and if I can help them. Um, and I think that's what we're called to do as coaches. But uh, you know, if you need somebody to talk to or have questions about this stuff, like feel free to reach out. I'd love, I'd love to help you in any way. S and C wise or career decision wise or whatever, because it's more than just this profession. Um, Cause like I said, none of us are going to probably retire it. So you're going to be something else later. So hopefully you learn and, and, and live after this. Well, boom, we did it coach all the way through the podcast. Nice. This, this, this is a blast. Thanks for being on. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it, man. And the, the guests you've had on, um, are really, really high level people. So I think it's, it's, uh, it's not the same old, same old that everyone's here. And I think your questions have, have been really, really good in the, in the guests. So I hope your listeners um, take a lot from this. Thank you. Yeah, it was, it's just, I love, I love hearing people like you and just trying to get more into the passion and less like, again, more into the people, less into the programs. And I think that's where I think the listeners and I know myself, I can know personally. And I think a lot of this podcast for myself is selfish of learning what makes you tick and learning why you tick the way you tick. And it's helped me a ton in my coaching career. So thank you. No problem. Thank you guys for listening. Keep chopping wood.